Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by... Bridgestone Tires, solutions for your journey. Hey, Gary. John, how are you? I am actually doing well. Yeah, I, I uh, missed the show last week. Uh, yeah. And uh, you, you had a great show with uh, Sam Fiorani and Dan Neal. And yeah. uh, it, was, it was quite fascinating. And uh, so, so, so Sam got the opportunity to do a thing in history. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to, I'm gonna do the, so Go back to it. Oh, Go okay. back so, to it. So, 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 so we're going to be talking about loyalty on the show today. Mm-hmm. Loyalty to brands, loyalty to models, loyalty uh, across the board in the industry. Okay, so on March 2nd, 1966, the millionth instance of this vehicle was produced. 66 millionth. So uh, I'm going to guess Ford Mustang. You're absolutely correct. Now, now, okay. So, so when I saw that, it was, it was, I, I, I have to ask you, okay, because the car was introduced in 64, right? In correct. April of 64, the April car 64. was introduced. Okay. So, right. so in less than two years, they made right. a million of them. I, I want to say in the first 12 months, they made, if I remember right, and this is why I guessed it was the Mustang. 440,000 is the name, the, the number that I remember the, the first 12 months. So, I mean, yeah, they lit the fuse and that thing just went. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just strikes me that, you know, if, if you were to say that many cars now, I mean, how many assembly plants could even deal with that? No, not very few, very few could do that today. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was built in Dearborn. Yeah. The Dearborn assembly right. plant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So yeah, they cranked them out for sure. Yeah. That's, that's just amazing to me. Um, and, uh, and the car continues today and it, you know, it's not as popular as it was back then, but I'm sure it still has massively loyal fans. Still an icon. No question so. about it. So the loyal brings us to. Well, tell us who who do we have on the show today, Gary? So we have uh, Vince Palmares, who is the guy in charge of loyalty for S and P Mobility, and and Vince will correct me on his title. But oh, that's um, my title. It's on my okay. business card. Right. <laughs> guy in charge yeah. of, of loyalty. Okay. Well, guy in charge of studying about automotive loyalty. <laughs> yeah, there we you, go. Got, you, you make him sound like he's in HR with a whip and making sure all the S&P employees show up. <laughs> you must be loyal. Yeah. <laughs> and we have Jeff Gilbert from WWJ uh, News Radio 95, who uh, is, is their uh, auto reporter. And uh, he also happens to be president of the North American Car of the Year Awards. So. Yeah, and um, I've been at the station for 33 years, so I guess that shows some loyalty, or maybe nobody else is interested in me. One of them. That's a good so, record. So, so Vince, S and P Global Mobility came out with its annual study. Give us the top line, and then we're going to go down all the way to the bottom. <laughs> well, it's the it's our annual loyalty awards program where we recognize those brands and models that are that go above and beyond in terms of retaining customers who previously purchased a vehicle and return back to market to purchase a new vehicle. So, and, and Vince, th- th- this is not a survey, right? I mean, you guys yeah. are going by data. This is not people's opinions. You're looking at hard data, right? One hundred percent. This is all fact based, based off of registration and hardcore registration with customers that do v- register a vehicle. We get that information, so it's really. It's really based census based on the on the entire U.S. So, and we're looking at again. We do several categories. We're looking at you know manufacturer. We're looking at make. We're looking at ethnicity. We're also looking at dealer. So we break it down into several levels, on, even down to the model level as well. Really, kind of just showing kind of the the benefits and the strength of of what a loyal program can do for your model brand, etc. Yeah, and, and I mean the the numbers that jumped off the page is like Tesla just about cleaned up in so many of the categories. 
Yeah, yeah. It was a really big year for Tesla in the sense that, you know, I mean, well, the years, I mean, the, the rest of the industry, I think there's a couple of things to look at it. You know, the industry is down as a whole. We've been seeing sales down over the last couple of years. And on top of, you know, if sales are down, the amount of volume of customers returning back to market to purchase a new vehicle is going to be down as well. And so that caused a little bit of an impact to some of the more traditional mainstays and loyalty, a lot of your domestic brands, which traditionally have higher loyalty. So that impact that, but we can't, I can't discredit what Tesla did. I mean, Tesla had a very strong year in terms of loyalty, 65% loyalty. Other customers remained loyal to the brand after previously purchasing a vehicle, which is. And, and put that number in perspective, because I mean, 65%, yowza. Yeah, yeah. So the average loyalty for the industry this year was about 50%. And that was actually, unfortunately, that was like the lowest that has been within the last 10 years. Um, you know, that it's, been, it's hit a couple highs of like 54% a few years back, but around 50% is what you're expecting for the industry average. Tesla at 65 is showing a much higher level of retention for its brand than anybody else. Are you also running into a situation where Tesla is now getting to the point where its vehicles have been out long enough that a consumer will go, okay, I'm ready to buy another one and I'm going back to that brand? I mean, do you reach a point in, in, in the history of a brand new car where, okay, you know, when Tesla was around for one year and just had a Roadster, obviously nobody was going to buy a second one. But now that they've got more products, they've been out for a while and people are getting ready to, to upgrade or, or to refresh. Is that something that impacts it as well? It's a great question, Jeff. And yeah, I think that is something that is, is a, a big, you know, just a big identifier of how strong the brand is right now. So we look at, you know, when we're talking about return to market, when we're talking about these customers previously purchased a vehicle, return back to market, purchase a new one. One of the, another key indicator of strength of a brand is return to market timing. So how quickly after you purchase a vehicle does it take for you to return back to market to purchase another one? And when we're talking about the industry as a whole, you know, the industry as a whole is around 38 months. It takes about 30, the average household about 38 months to return back to market to purchase another vehicle. Now, some of that is leasing, obviously leasing around that three-year mark really kind of drives that number. But with Tesla, we're seeing the average customer return back to market to purchase another Tesla around 28 months. So significantly shorter than what the normal average customer is. When you break that down by finance type, when you look at lease versus purchase, you would expect the lease number to be lower and the purchase number to be higher because you're, you know, you're secured to a five-year loan or even longer. That's not the case. Those purchase customers are actually returning almost two months faster than the lease customers are. So they really are. Oh, go ahead, John. Sorry, John. Well, well, why is that? I mean, you know, supposedly with over-the-year updates, you know, your, your car just gets better with age, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And that's the reason to keep it. Why are these people coming back after only a couple of years and buying a new one? So, you know, it, it, I think the big drivers of that were, I think that there was, one, the strength of the brand. I think a Tesla buyer, once they purchase an EV vehicle, I think it creates, you know, they, they like their EV vehicle and they want to they want to come back in the market for another one. I think two big launches for Tesla within the last five years were Model 3 and Model Y. Adding more of a compact utility vehicle as well as, you know, a more of a compact sedan, sedan relative to the Model 3. You know, the Model 3, the Model S, I mean, I'm sorry. The Model 3, you know, was at a relatively good price point to bring in a, a bunch of new buyers. So once they brought that in and then, and then introduced the Model Y afterwards, I think the need to kind of, hey, I want that Model Y. I already have my Model 3 and potentially have a charger within my household. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and go for the compact utility, which, we, you know, as we've talked about in the, the presentation a couple of days ago, compact utility segment is the most popular segment in the industry right now. It attracts the most loyal buyers. It also attracts the most conquest buyers. So new buyers coming into the segment. So really coming out, striking while the iron's hot with two popular cars. Okay, is so, there also an issue with people reselling their Teslas going, okay, I can get a pretty good amount for the vehicle that I have right now. And maybe I'll get something that's newer, that has a fresher battery, has a few more upgrades, or as you said, move from a sedan to an SUV, because it's not going to hurt me that much because somebody will buy what I have right now. Yeah. So, you know, we don't have, and for our loyalty data, we don't track like the resale aspect of it. So we're not tracking about what we do have is we have two separate methodologies that we look at. One is it's household based. So looking at potentially either disposal or addition to the garage. And the other one is essentially just disposing my vehicle. I'm trading in one vehicle for the other. And so when we're, you know, when we initially were looking at the data, one of the things that we, you would make the assumption was, well, if they're just adding to the household, that really explains that short time frame, you know, because they're just, hey, I'm just going to add another vehicle to my garage. What's interesting, though, is when you look at the, the trade-in, so that disposal one-to-one -one movement, it's roughly the same. It's maybe just a couple months higher. So, yeah, there is, a, there is a customer base that is trading in these vehicles for another Tesla. And there's also a, 
a, a subset that is also just adding to the garage as well. You know, the, the, the people at Tesla, are, are the, they're such fanatics. I, I know of people who have said, oh, I want to buy, uh, you know, a Model Y with the Giga castings in it. Or others who have bought, you know, hoping that they're going to get the new batteries or stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're so into the product. They want the latest and greatest hardware, not just the software updates. Yeah. It, you know, it's I think the one thing that you could say that they've done really well because they don't do any marketing. Uh, you know, they go outside of the normal traditional, like, you know, dealer type selling system and marketing system that normal that normal OEMs have. And so I think one of the things to identify that is their brand strength is so strong. And it is because it is, you know, it is the the name, the vehicles. And then also, too, like if you are Tesla customers, I mentioned before, and, and you do buy a Tesla and you purchase a you purchase a charging unit for it. Hey, you're going to be more inclined to stick with another Tesla vehicle because the infrastructure is already there. I I've said this a couple in a couple other things past, but it really does kind of equate to what I see what Apple does with their system. You know, Apple, in this case, Apple is, if you're going to buy an iPad, you're going to buy an iPhone, you're probably going to buy a MacBook with it too. They all have chargers that are unique. Well, at least the iPhone has a charger that's unique to it. Tesla has a charging unit in the backs of their vehicles, whereas other EVs have it in the front. So they're really kind of, I'm not I'm saying following that model, but you can see similarities in the way that they are driving people to their brand and remaining with their brand. So Vince, what... You, you talked about the timing. You, um, you guys discovered that there are two other elements that are key loyalty drivers for Tesla. One is an ethnicity, and then the other is conquests. Um, talk about both of those aspects. Yeah, I'll start with the ethnicity part first because I think that's a really big topic. You know, what we've seen over the last 10 years in the industry is we've really seen, you know, ethnic market share of, of retail sales in the industry of the last 10 years increase pretty significantly. I mean, it's still, you know... Caucasian buyers or non-ethnic buyers still represent a large chunk of the audience that are purchasing vehicles. But the, the share among ethnic groups is really growing. And, and what Tesla's done really well is they've really captured that particular portion of the, of the industry, of the market itself. Whereas if you look at kind of when we're talking about make loyal volume, so the amount of customers that are loyal to that particular brand, if we're looking at the share of that volume, if you look at the industry average, the industry average is still heavily based on non-ethnic buyers, around 68% of all sales come from non-ethnic buyers. Tesla is completely different. Tesla on this side, 52% of their buyers come from a particular, come from a, some type of ethnic group. So with, let's define, you're, you're talking black, Asian, and Hispanic when you say exactly. ethnic. African-American, Asian, Hispanic, um, you know, uh, other, yeah, as long as it's non-Caucasian is kind of what we're, is what we're looking at it. And um, yeah, and I think the big thing of that 52%, what is really interesting at that point is when you take, when you break that 52% down, 26%, so more than half, almost half of, of that split is coming from Asian buyers. And the thing about Asian buyers or Asian buyers have traditionally been the least loyal out of any of those, out of any of those ethnic groups that we have. So to not only capture a majority of ethnic buyers, but also capture a majority of Asian buyers, which again, everyone's been trying to capture because they are the least loyal. I think that that is a very strong suit. And the other side, not only that, also tend to be higher income and spend more money on cars. Yes, and, and also tech and, and early adopters to technology too, as we've seen in the past, which I think is a good uh, uh, another boost there. And then to add to the conquest side, well, you know, part of building your brand is you know we kind of talking more about loyalty methodology and like the importance of loyalty. Well, in order to have a loyal base, you have to bring in buyers into your brand to begin with. And I think what Tesla's been doing really well is. They're conquesting. They're bringing in buyers from other brands. And, 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 and the big thing is, too, is customers coming into an EV vehicle. Well, if Tesla has that brand strength, they've had 10 years to really build up that infrastructure, build up that reputation, rep, reputation as kind of the EV, the EV leader. Well, if I'm going to look for a Tesla, odds are I'm probably if I'm looking for a BEV vehicle, odds are I'm probably going to pick a Tesla. And so they're really controlling the amount of conquests that are coming into an EV vehicle. They control the majority share. It's uh, it was above 70% for a couple of years ago. It's it's eroded a little bit down to like 68%, I, I believe, for 2022. But that's also because the number of EV models that other OEMs are coming out with has rise significantly over the last two years. But still, bringing in those conquests, when those conquests purchase their first vehicle, you want to be there when they return back to market and you want to keep them loyal. And I think just kind of keeping that pipeline going is really what's helping them kind of maintain this loyalty. How does that Could, stack up against other... Be, uh, with, with... How does that stack up against other EVs that are out there? I mean, because, you know, we're comparing Tesla to other brands, but, you know, if you look at specific other EVs, do they have higher levels of loyalty? 
Not necessarily. I mean, the, the, it's similar to kind of what Jeff's kind of talked about. You know, a lot of the EV companies out right now are still very early in their life cycle or they're, in their inf- they're so early in their life right now. So kind of seeing that type of movement, it's, it's low. And usually in the early points of a, of a, of a brand's life, it, the, 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 the data is a little volatile. So, you know, there's, we are seeing, you know, customers are remaining loyal, but there's not enough data. There's not enough of the sample size out there to really kind of make a judgment. What is interesting though, is an interesting point kind of talking about that was, you know, when I was looking at doing some data early, looking some data analysis earlier today, you know, to get ready for this. And one of the things I was looking at was, you know, a Tesla buyer that returns to market. We know that a majority of them are going to stay loyal to the brand. Well, what about those ones that actually defect from the brand that leave the brand? What about those ones that defect and choose another EV? Like what's going to be their choice there, you know? And when I was looking at what their top choice, I thought it was really interesting to think if they're going to choose another EV vehicle, I'll throw it out to your group. What do you guys think that vehicle would be? I would My say Audi. Would be truck. I, I would say e-tron. I want to guess a Lucid. Close. Jeff, you had it right. They go to Rivian. Rivian is the top. Rivian accounts for about twenty percent of all Tesla defections, with Lucid being number two. Yeah, because so, you can't uh, get a pickup truck from Tesla until, of course, the Cybertruck comes out next week. One hundred percent, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. That just goes to the strength of the brand. If they're going to defect from the brand and they're going to stay with an EV vehicle, well, it's going to be something not in that lineup. So I think that also that could pertain to kind of what's going to happen down the road with when Cybertruck comes out. You know, is that's going to be another piece that they're missing, and how is that going to pertain to their loyalty? Not that also signaled, you know, how strong their brand is if they're able to add even more retention or bring in more conquest with the launch of the Cybertruck. I was going to ask you, do you do geographical research on this? Because, you know, Tesla has such a cachet along the coast, particularly in California. Do you see higher loyalty in those areas where somebody, you know, if they brought home a vehicle other than Tesla, their neighbor would ask them, what, what are you doing? As opposed to somebody here in the Midwest who drove a Tesla and went, okay, yeah, I'm going to go back to my F-150. Yeah, I, I'm originally from California, so I do see I, back my experiences were seeing a lot of Teslas on the road back then. And yeah, and that's really true. I mean, you really are seeing a bulk of their volume, a bulk of their loyalty in California. You know, you're seeing significantly higher loyalty in California. But also, it, you know, we did a study a couple of months back kind of looking at EV adoption and how EV adoption is moving from kind of the coastal states into more of the heartland states. And what we saw was, you know, there is there is an adoption, there is a growing adoption of EV vehicles in the heartland states. Obviously, the coastal states still have that dominance overall, but we are seeing though we are seeing it kind of reach out more into the inland to the inland areas of the US. And I think that's kind of a sign of, you know, people are starting to get more accustomed to this technology. Now the infrastructure, that still needs to be there. There's still a lot of work with the infrastructure. But it is kind of growing within there. But yeah, in your big states and your especially big coastal states, California, Florida, New York, you really see kind of higher loyalty for Tesla. But California is the is the big one in terms of the amount of volume coming in there. What's your sense of uh, the infrastructure playing a role in loyalty? Because Tesla clearly has the best charging system, hands down. And so if you're somebody who's really into EVs, I got to believe that's something that's going to keep you in the brand. hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, that having that ability, you know, Going, looking back when in the early portion of the EV side, when like when we had Leaf, you know, was kind of one of the first ones to market along with, you know, Tesla, you know, range anxiety was a big thing and it still is a big thing. And I think that one of the, one of the things that makes customers hesitant to fully move on to an EV is, hey, I feel that I'm worried about my vehicle running out of mileage, which even though, you know, battery lifetime is getting up to like 200 miles and above right now, which if you have a 200 mile commute that you're really worried about in a day that you're really worried about that EV dropping, I mean, I don't know about, you might rethink that career, but still though, you know, I think range anxiety still exists. And I think one thing that Tesla has done really well is really built up those charging stations and making them ready available, California being significantly available, but coming out here, you know, they are trying to make sure that it's stretched out all across the U S and having that kind of comfort and knowing that there is more, you know, there's a number of Tesla chargers that I can, go to to help you know charge my vehicle i think adds another benefit in terms of making me reassured making me want to remain with that brand vince we've sort of talked as though we know the answer to this question but i don't know that we do what is the value of loyalty to an oem brand it's pretty significant i mean in the sense you know when you're looking at an oem in terms of you know there's investing billions of dollars in terms of research development advertising marketing all that stuff incentives and keeping that network 
So if you're able to understand of the amount of customers returning back to market, if I know what my customer base is and how much I can retain that customer base, I have a pretty good head start in terms of figuring out, okay, how many units can I sell in my vehicle? Am I really going to need a lot of incentives to do it? You know, what kind of other channels am I going to need? So having a strong loyalty base, like you look at some of the more traditional OEMs, if you look at Ford, Chevrolet, or GM, Toyota, Honda, those are traditionally very strong loyal, loyal, loyal brands. So a lot of their, a majority of their volume comes in from loyalty. Having that, they don't really focus too much on conquest because, you know, they have such a strong loyal base. So you can build off of that. When you have to work for conquest, you know, you're really doing a lot of other strategies to try to bring in new buyers to brands. So in that case, you're adding a lot of incentives. You're really increasing your marketing spend. You're having to get a shorter product cadence in terms of releases of refreshes and redesigns, which are drivers that fuel loyalty. So you're doing a lot more effort versus, hey, I know a GM buyer is going to be very loyal to my brand. I know that, you know, roughly, you know, this year they did really well, too. I know roughly 60 percent of my buyers that are returning back to market each year are going to be loyal to my brand. So if I'm selling X amount of units per year, 60 percent of that, I can know that I have those at least somewhat guaranteed sales to to, to, to rely on. Did the strangeness of the last couple of years, I mean, first a pandemic followed by inventory and supply chain issues. How has that impacted loyalty? Has, has, has that changed things at all? Yeah, pretty significantly. Um, it's really affected everyone. Um, you know, what we saw when the when inventory declined. So, you know, prior looking, going from back to 2003, going or even to just 10 years ago, we've been seeing a pretty strong loyalty trend moving up. Loyalty was getting a lot stronger. Customer, you know, OEMs are getting a lot smarter in terms of retaining their customers. You know, one of the channels that we saw, as I mentioned earlier, leasing is one of the is one of the strongest ways that you can really uh, you can retain a customer. And that's because when you have a lease, you know exactly when that customer is going to return back to market. So you can reach them before they actually decide to get a car. And you can say, hey, you have a couple months left on your lease. Hey, let's put you into another lease or, hey, let's check out what we have. We know exactly who you are and when you're coming back to market. So leasing was a big thing to do. it. When the pandemic hit. Obviously, that kind of threw things in a, in, a, in a nosedive in the sense that inventory was short, incentives pulled back. So another incentives is another traditional way of kind of attracting buyers. And then leasing also dropped as well. So some of those ch- normal channels that, cut, that OEMs were reliant on to, to bring loyalty in was, was away from them. We've seen it. A lot of the big OEMs, again, like those ones that I mentioned, Honda, Toyota, GM, Ford, have actually seen loyalty declines over the last couple of years because they don't have the, the availability to have profit the products that customers want. And what we've seen is, you know, customers are loyal. They're loyal to their brands. But if that supply is not there and I need a car, I'm going to go look elsewhere. And that's really what happened last year. And what we saw this year, at least in the case for GM, was as in the second half of 2022, as GM's inventory in, improved, those customers came back. So they're ready to come back. So the, the assumption would be is as inventory levels get back to more normal levels, you would expect customers to kind of go back to their traditional brands. We may start to see some of these loyalty gains that were lost over the last couple of years. Well, we, we should mention, you know, you've mentioned General Motors. We should point out that, um, you know, we talked a lot about Tesla and Tesla was, uh, you know, the overall loyalty to make, but in terms of overall loyalty to manufacturer, which is a big award, uh, that was General Motors. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the things it seems to me that you guys found was that, you know, General Motors had the inventory and the inventory was growing last year. Mm-hmm. And there was almost a, a direct correlation between the level of loyalty and the number of available vehicles that GM had on offer. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if Ford or Toyota or Honda or, or another OEM had the inventory and General Motors didn't, would, would that have caused the results to be different? Or is it just that General Motors has this this strength. I mean, um, what one of our viewers had had asked me earlier in the day said, you know, how how is General Motors winning? I thought after the bankruptcy, nobody's going to buy a GM car again. Yeah, I know it's it's a great question, Gary. And I think what you're looking at with General Motors is, you know, it's the I, I, the idea of multiples. Like the more options you have available, the more chances you have are you got the more chances you have to remain loyal to a brand. And you look at General Motors. You have Chevrolet, you have Cadillac, you have GMC, you have Buick. So you have four other brands. So a Buick customer can move to Chevrolet or a Chevrolet customer can move to GMC and they're loyal to that manufacturer. Whereas a lot of other manufacturers or multi-brand entities, you know, only have a couple brands within their system. So they're kind of limited in terms of that movement through the brand, those opportunities. And that's really 
benefited General Motors where, you know, they won. This was their eighth win in a row. And I think 19th out of 27 uh, awards that we've offered the manufacturer award. So having those high number of brands really did help them. But inventory will inventory will benefit the other OEMs as it comes back. You know, one of the one of the big improvers that we saw this year was Hyundai. Hyundai has really made Hyundai came in second in terms of manufacturer uh, loyalty. And what we're seeing there is they've been doing a great job of expanding their lineup, expanding their, you know, moving into Genesis 2, expanding Genesis as well. So they're making strides in terms of their portfolio. They're also getting into EV2 as well. So they're, they're offering, offering multiple options to keep those customers loyal. So they're just short on inventory. So the expectation is as inventory increases, we would expect to see better increases in loyalty next year. Vince, does that uh, Hyundai number also include Kia? Um, yes, it does include key in this sense. Yes. Okay. So th- that's interesting. Then uh, what, what you're saying is uh, automakers that have multiple brands have a better chance of having higher loyalty. Overall, because you, yeah, you just have more options to go to. And that's so, the same so it's, thing. It's, it's multiple brands and multiple models though, isn't it? I mean, that's that another you, thing you too. Have... Yeah, the higher, the more models you have too. So it's just, it's just the multiples. Obviously, if you go from, you know, four brands with 16 models, you know, then it just keeps giving you more and more chances to become loyal in some certain sense. And I got to believe too, it's uh, multi-brand stores within the same manufacturer that helps that. 100%. I mean, I, I've never seen a, a combo Hyundai Kia store. They're separate. They keep it pretty it's, separate. It's, and and Cadillac is is generally separate, but other than that, it's not uncommon to see GM stores, you know, Chevy, GMC, or GMC Buick, or all three in rural areas. Exactly, exactly. So, so I mean, isn't isn't it even more insane that that Tesla does as well as it does, and you can count all of its offerings on your hand? It's four models. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the. I think that is very. I think it's just a testament to the power of this brand so far, and especially in 2022. I mean, you know, we know that, you know, they've done a couple things towards the end of the year where they, you know, they were seeing some sales decline and they offered lower price and they obviously had access to EV credit again, which kind of re, you know, reinvigorated their brand. But really, you know, again, the launch of the Model 3 and the Model Y, I don't, it was just very big for them in terms of really kind of giving that full portfolio of customers to move through the brand. And really we're seeing a lot of the action. If, if a Tesla, if a Model S customer returns back to market, and they don't get a Model S, they're going to get a Model 3 or Model Y. If a Model X customer returns back to market, they're going to get a Model Y, then a Model 3. So the Model 3 and Model Y really were those key drivers to really kind of spur some of that movement within the brand. What, what do you think the Cybertruck will do to loyalty numbers? You know, I mean, looking at what, looking, when I looked at the data and saw that, you know, the highest effector was to Rivian. I mean, that just made me think that they just want to pick up, you know? And I mean, I know that there's been talk about the polarizing styling of the Cybertruck. I think, you know, we've all seen the design of it, but you know, these customers are very loyal to this brand. And if there's a truck offering, you know, there's some that aren't going to care about the design. They just want to have a Tesla in this offering. So I think it's, again, you're just opening up another channel and you're covering, you have your compact sedan, you have your full size sedan, you have your compact utility vehicle, you have your full size utility vehicle. And then finally you have your pickup. So you have that full spectrum of what, you know, what an OEM or what a, what a brand should offer. Okay. We've been talking about loyalty for the past uh, 20 some odd minutes, but what about the flip side of things? What about Conquest? Which brands have the most problem keeping their customers in-house? Yeah. So defections, you know, so when we're looking at conquest, which is the adverse of that would be defections. So, you know, and when we're looking at loyalty, when you return to market, you can either be loyal to a brand or you can be a defector. So you were looking at those brands with some of the lower loyalty as kind of being those high defector brands and then more conquest from others. So, you know, conquest, the way we measure conquest is, you know, because if we're looking at it from a volume perspective, it's hard because the industry's down. Conquest volume would just be down for most uh, brands. I think there was only a handful of brands that actually saw a year-over-year increase in Conquest volume. But when we're looking at Conquest, we also have to factor in defection. And one of the ways that we measure that is what we refer to as our CD ratio. So Conquest defection ratio. Anything above one means you're bringing in more customers than you're losing. So what we tend to see with that is we're seeing those brands, we're seeing you know Subaru, Hyundai, Kia are some of the top brands that have those CD ratios above 1.0. So they're bringing in more conquest, more than they're losing. The domestics, and then to a lesser extent, Honda and Toyota, are brands are that we see in this sense who have that strong loyalty base. So they're not fo- they're not focusing as much on conquest. So when we see them and we're looking at that CD ratio, they tend to be below one, just because 
they have such a huge loyal base, they don't really need to rely on Conquest that much. What you're seeing is some of the, you know, the emerging brands, like the Koreans, Hyundai, Kia, uh, and, the, and Subaru, Mazda are another are another brands that are really more reliant on Conquest. Because I mentioned earlier, you want to find a way to build that pipeline. Conquests are the way to do it. Now, the next thing is, is, is really focusing on once those grab those conquests, it's really all about trying to retain them when they return back to market eventually. So that's been some of the trouble with some of those brands in previous years where we're seeing Honda, Kia, Subaru really make an effort in terms of improving that. But, you know, Mazda is still another one that's really reliant on those conquests to kind of really funnel that their sales pipeline overall. Hey, hey, look, we're uh, at the, the half hour point. Uh, we should take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, Vince, I want to ask you about the one category that we knew Tesla had no chance of winning at all. But first, a message from our sponsor. Ooh. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. How do Bridgestone tires stop shorter on what roads? It's their hydro-track technology. But you don't have to know how the science works. Just where the brake is. What really matters is their Bridgestone. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. We're back talking about loyalty. And I had teased that next segment up. The one, the, the one category that Tesla had no chance of winning at all was most loyal to a dealer. <laughs> yeah. They don't have a traditional dealer network. <laughs> And we Subaru, won Subaru that one. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, what is Subaru doing so different at the dealer level, or did it just win by default because everybody else was worse? No, I mean, you know, the industry again, the industry's down as a whole, inventory short. So again, you're going to go to where you went. And traditionally, with you know, when a customer is shopping, they you know, they have so many different options. You know, even if you live in a big metro area, you know, you're going to have multiple dealerships within roughly 15, 20 miles of where you're at. And so when we're looking at dealer loyalty, you know, we're tracking not only your loyalty to the brand, but your loyalty to the dealer as well. So the, the ability of a dealer to, you know, retain those customers, I think, is a testament to the strength of the, of the power of them to have a relationship with those customers. And Subaru, what we've seen is, you know, Subaru, um, you know, this year in terms of dealer, not only not only led in dealer loyalty, but it led in the states that you wouldn't really expect. Obviously, we don't think, oh, Pacific Northwest, that would be their primary strongest segment. That wasn't necessarily the case. If you look at their deal loyalty, it was in the heartland. It was in the East Coast. You know, it was in the Southeast. Like there was, there were certain areas that we saw that they had, and that just that again, that is just a testament to their dealerships, their dealers' ability to reach out to their customers, to have that relationship with their customers, and say, hey, you're not going to want to go to you know, to Jeff Gilbert Subaru down the street. You're going to want to stay with Vince Palmar's Subaru because that's where I, you know, that's where I'm going to give you the best you know service and the best deal and everything. And I think. That's just a power for, you know, but we look at the dealer awards, the dealer awards. I think the, the, the primary thing is, you know, Tesla did a major thing by kind of overtaking Ford for make loyalty this year. Ford had been a traditional winner in that category. Um, General Motors wins manufacturer eighth year in a row. When you're seeing dealer, I think the one thing about dealer is there's never really been a consistent winner of dealer loyalty when we're looking at years past. It's really has flipped out. It's really flipped 
from year to year. And I think, again, that's so it's a very competitive category. I think in the past three years, we've had three different winners. So I think to be fair to the to the audience, you know, John mentioned this this category. We should we should say what all of the categories are and who won them. Oh, um, yeah. And, and uh, so, you know, GM got the overall loyalty to manufacturer. Um, we just mentioned Subaru overall loyalty to dealer. Um, now we'll do the long run of Tesla wins, ethnic market loyalty to make, overall loyalty to make, most improved make loyalty, highest conquest percentage, alternative powertrain loyalty to make, and the final category is most improved alternative powertrain loyalty to make, which Mercedes won. Explain that one. Uh, yeah, no, it's a lot of words. Um, so what you know, when we're looking at the alternative powertrain loyalty to make, I think you know, as I mentioned earlier, what we've been really seeing over the last several years is we've been seeing a lot more EV adoption among the industry. And so I think we want to recognize that as we start to see this powertrain really, really come or this fuel type really come into more prominence in the industry. So we wanted to recognize those brands. Obviously, Tesla, you know, they're a full EV lineup, so obviously they're going to have you know a majority of that share of customers coming in. But what the most the 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 alternative powertrain loyalty to make award is recognizes those customers who previously purchased either a hybrid vehicle or an EV vehicle from a brand were turned back to market and purchased another hybrid or EV vehicle from the brand. It's not just brand loyalty; it's their loyalty not only to the brand but their loyalty to the fuel type as well or the powertrain. And so the most improved is just really kind of looking at that year over year change in terms of how much loyalty do they increase. Mercedes offered the EQS 2022, which was a big uh, which is a big success for them. And that really helped help them win the most approved award. Hey, so what, what role do dealers play in this? I want to go back to that because, you know, uh, for most consumers, uh, their experience with a brand is is via the dealer. Mm-hmm. And and so many people, if they have a bad dealer experience, they blame the car company. They blame the brand for their, their bad experience. And I'm wondering, is it possible that Tesla has done so well because it doesn't have any dealers? <laughs> you know that i mean i don't have the data i don't the the survey data to back that up but you know that is something that they have a different type of experience it's more of the boutique experience where you're going to instead of going to like a big large dealership where there's a ton of cars you're walking into a boutique in a mall or a store excuse me where you know there's just two cars there and there's just a couple salespeople and they're talking to you so i think that you know experience does play a little bit into it you know but we can't Again, we can't discredit what the OEMs have done. They've been doing this for, for decades in terms of having that dealership experience of, you know, those customers having a relationship. Hey, you know, I have my car. My, I get my car serviced at my, at my dealership every, you know, every few months. I, I go there. If I'm looking for another vehicle, I want to talk to those guys. They're reaching out to me constantly. They're talking to me. They know my name. There's a relationship there. And I think that does play a lot into it. Now, again, when you're looking at Tesla, though, there is that lure of, hey, this is a brand new technology. This is very sleek. This is very, you know, we have our own infrastructure. We're Apple. Apple has their own store where, you know, if I'm going for, you know, Microsoft has obviously opened up their own boutique stores. But, you know, if I'm looking for a PC, like I have to go to like a Best Buy or, you know, or some other, some other store that has multiple different brands of stuff. Whereas Apple has their own, their own, like their own store set up for them. So I think there's similarities in that in terms of the the sleekness of that, of, of that kind of concept. Yeah. So before the show started, I I got a call from a guy I know. uh, In fact, he's probably listening right now. Chase Drum lives out in rural Oregon. He's got a, I think he told me a model Y he's out on a road trip, gets a stone, cracks the windshield. You know, when he gets a chance to stop, he gets on his Tesla app, puts all this information in for the service. And before he can even call like another glass store, They've already arranged for him to to come in and have it fixed. And and this is a a lead into another question. He's got Tesla insurance. And so you get half off on the parts. And uh, when you add it all together, a repair that was probably going to be about $1,500 because, you know, they got the cameras behind the windshield. Everything's got to be. It's not just the glass anymore. Right. There's a whole lot more service that goes into it. The repair was under 500 bucks. I mean, I got to believe experiences like that are make what you, you say, man, I love this brand. 100% is reassurance. You know, we talked about the range anxiety. So not only do they, not only does this brand have to overcome the fear of, of range anxiety, but they also have to overcome the fear of, hey, what do I do if something breaks? Because, you know, I know that normally in my car, if something breaks, I just take it to the dealership and they, you know, they handle it. Or I know my mechanic that can handle it. With EV, you're dealing with different technologies. So 
they have to kind of work harder in that sense to really make sure that their customer feels, I, I feel confident enough to, you know, to have that taken care of. To, to move away from Tesla for a second, uh, one of the areas in, in the industry where we've seen a lot of change in re recent uses pickup trucks. We've seen more upscale pickup trucks. We've seen smaller pickup trucks like the Maverick, Hyundai Santa Cruz. How is that market changing as far as loyalty goes? Because, I mean, it used to be, I'm a Chevy guy, I'm a Ram guy, I'm, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But there are so many entries, so many people who are buying upscale pickups. How is that changing that part of the market? You know, not as much as I expected it to. Um, you know, this is... You know, I've been in the industry now for 20 years and I've really seen the evolution of kind of the pickups from being kind of more, you know, just going from more single cab to now everything's pretty much quad cab now, you know, and, and you know, you're starting to see more richer trims, more luxury trims, really kind of, you know, and you're also seeing the price of trucks go up. But I think the thing that, you know, the benefit of a truck is when you look at the amount of households in the U.S. that have a truck, you're seeing a, a high portion of those households all have a pickup truck in that market. Now. So if you have a pickup truck, then again, there's that it's that connector to a brand that allows you to remain loyal to that brand. And so what we haven't really seen is, you know, Ram, you know, Ram had a pretty successful launch with their most recent, the last redesign, which was several years ago, a few years ago. But when they added, you know, when they really kind of took a step up in terms of not only their quality, but their technology in the vehicle, we saw, you know, there was some shift to Ram overall. But again, you know, F-150, Silverado, Ram, every year for the loyalty awards, which when we're looking at the segment awards, which track model loyalty. So that's looking at, I previously purchased an F-150, I'm returning back to market, purchasing another F-150. It's been a very tough battle and they've all been within neck and neck of each other each year. So it's not, you know, one particular brand hasn't moved above the other. They've all been right within earshot of each other um, over the last decade. Now, the compact pickup is a little bit different. Now, compact pickup, when you're talking about your canyons, Colorados, your uh, Santa Cruz, Santa, did I say it right, Santa Cruz? Santa Fe? Santa Cruz. Yeah. Santa Cruz. Santa, Santa, Santa Fe's the Santa, Santa Claus. Yeah, exactly. And your Tacoma. You know, that's a little bit different now where we're really in Maverick as well. So in Maverick and Ranger, you know, several years ago, that was just a one segment vehicle, a one vehicle segment where you just really had Tacoma really dominating. And what we've seen over the last several years is we've seen more and more entries coming in. There's a lot more competition there. Full size pickups, that's going to be your that's going to be where a lot of the battles are going. But I think, you know, those guys are just on such an even playing field. It's going to be hard for one to top the other. But the compact, the more lower you get. I think you're going to start to see a lot more battles between them in terms of, I think that you'll start to see some clear leaders start to separate themselves over time. Well, well, Vince, to that point though. Okay. So not surprisingly, as the light duty pickup segment winner was the F-150, the heavy duty pickup was the Silverado, but you know, the category that you guys have for the smaller ones is midsize pickup. And that was the Honda Ridgeline, which yeah. also won it last year. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's not a Tacoma or it's, 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 you know, I mean, exactly. how is that explained? I, you know, I, the the Ridgeline, you know, they had that the the recent redesign that they did when they really went from more of a I would say SUV based looking vehicle to more of a truck vehicle was a very positive, you know, positive switch for them, and I think that really resonated with some of those Honda customers that just wanted Honda, and it was a pretty solid improving truck. So I think that benefits them there. In terms of you know why they're able to redeem the customers, I don't really have that data available to me to look at. I mean, I think if you just you know, I think in this sense, Honda, Honda customers are very loyal to the brand. You know, I think they're very loyal to their particular model, CRV in particular being kind of one of the highest loyalty among Hondas and generals. And I think those customers that, you know, have purchased a Ridgeline are very favorable of that vehicle. And they have a very, I wouldn't say cult following, but they have a strong following that comes back and, hey, hey, I like this vehicle enough. I want to purchase another one because I want to stay within the Honda family. And I like this. This is all, this is exactly what I need. I don't need a bigger version. I don't need a stronger vehicle. What I like is what this Ridgeline offers. You know, at the other end of the spectrum, then your, your data also showed that the higher the household income, the less loyalty that there is when they come to buy a new car. What do you think's going on there? I mean, you know, so again, so we're looking at stuff. Um, we're looking at stuff from a household perspective. So we're looking at additions to the garage and additions to, you know, versus kind of just I'm giving up my vehicle one for one. If you have that higher income, well, you know, 
you may not, you may want to get, you know, your, you may want to have a pickup from Chevrolet, but hey, I might want a luxury car. You know, Cadillac may not give me what I want. Maybe I want a BMW. Maybe I like to want to be a, a BMW. If I want something for my kids, you know, maybe I want to go with more of a Honda Civic or something smaller. So I think having that higher income allows you, gives them a little bit more flexibility to kind of move around. Whereas I think when you have more of a, a middle income, I think you're looking at, hey, I'm budget. This is what I'm familiar with. This is what I know will give me the best deal. You don't have to shop around for a deal. You can pay for what you want and, and get what you want, regardless of price. Mm-hmm. So, so Vince, going back to the um, segments, you guys wrote, when returning to market, segment model winners not only show a higher loyalty to previous model, but they also migrate less through the brand. So I wonder, I mean, does this mean that the buyer of a Dodge Challenger or a Chevy Bolt, both of which were category winners, um, does this mean they stick with those vehicles the next time they go to market? And what happens when those two cars go away? Yeah. So, uh, so a couple of things first, when we're talking about model loyalty, we're talking about the difference between model and make model loyalty is always going to be, is going to be lower than what make loyalty is. You know, if your make loyalty is around 50%, your model loyalty is going to be on average around 30 to 35%, you know, roughly almost, almost half of what your make loyalty is. So you're looking at a much smaller sample size. So you're seeing a lot of defections overall, but to retain that, you know, and we're looking at Dodge Challenger and we're looking at Chevrolet Bolt, you know, they are in the high thirties in terms of their model retention. So, you know, there is a core following that, hey, I love my rear wheel drive, you know, Hemi vehicle. You know, and, and obviously the Challenger offers are so many different variants of it. I think that also allows the collectability of it. And on the Bolt side, you know, it's a small, compact EV vehicle for Chevy that has great mileage, I mean, great range. And so, you know, Chevy at this point doesn't offer a number of other models, other different variants of EV vehicles. So, hey, if I want another EV vehicle and I like Chevy, I'm going to stick with that. Now, when those models go away, that's going to be a different story. You know, in that sense, you know, that's probably where we'll see what, you know, was it the the lure of the brand? Was it the lure of the powertrain or was, you know, am I, you know, unfortunately, what we're seeing is the the kind of not the we're seeing the what's the word I'm looking for? We're seeing kind of not necessarily the end of the full size vehicle, but we're seeing a lot of OEMs move away from more full size sedans, more real world drive sedans. So to think of, you know, once the Dodge Challenger goes away. You know, if there's not a lot of options, it's going to be interesting to see, well, what's going to be the next? You know, maybe they might search an EV because they like that power. They like that ability of what that vehicle can offer. You know, I, they may want to go to turbo. I, I you know, I, it's not really it's hard to predict kind of what they do once something goes away. So, you know, I, I think it's a testament to the power of those models to keep those customers in. But, yeah, when they move away, it would be it'll be interesting to see kind of what that move, what the next kind of the next popular thing will be for them. But would they still stay within Dodge or Chevy or would they likely go somewhere else? So, you know, Gary, I haven't done the research in terms of discontinued models to see kind of what that move. I think it's an interesting study and I think it's something that I would definitely want to look into. And, you know, I may talk to Tom about this when I move into when we do our next quarterly webinar. That may be a little topic to kind of look into the delving because I think it's a good point. And I think it's something that we don't think about enough, you know, because, again, we haven't really seen too many models being discontinued. You know, we're, we are seeing, you know, some of the midsize sedans go away. And one of the things that, you know, actually, to, this is older data, but when Fusion uh, was being discontinued, I think the heightened brand was, you know, what 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 was going to happen to those Fusion companies? Now, granted, this what this study I did was about seven years ago. So this data is, is old data, but, you know, just kind of looking at what those customers did at the time. And what we saw is, you know, when the announcement was made, we look at those customers that returned to market. Yeah, a good portion of them, you know, weren't really reliant to the body style. They did stay with Ford. They shopped for another Ford in the lineup. Um, you know, there was that aspect of, hey, what was going to be that? What was going to be that potential for Accord, for Camry, for Altima to, you know, to capitalize on with this loss of, with this loss of fusion? And it wasn't necessarily as high as we thought it was. It was actually very low. The, the rest of the company, the rest of those buyers, still remain low to the brand. Now, granted. That was seven years ago. So, you know, the things could have changed, obviously, between then. But, yeah, I think to answer your question, there could be an inclination that they would stay with the brand. But, yeah, I think that's something definitely to look forward to, look at possibly with our next quarterly webinar. Your, your data also showed that uh, people who buy hybrids are less loyal than, than people who buy pure ICE or, or BEV vehicles. Is that because they're they're going to a different hybrid or are they just saying, you know, I don't even like the way these things drive. I'm going with something else. Yeah. You know, I, 
the I think the hybrids kind of I feel bad for the hybrids because I had a hybrid a while back. And I think, you know, when 2008 happened, I think what happened, I think what we're seeing when we look back to 2008, when we saw the gas prices shoot up to the roof and then we saw, you know, the Prius was the, you know, when everyone talked about hybrids, they didn't say I have a hybrid. They said I have a Prius. Um, and I, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of power in that name and they captured a lot of market share to the point to where they were kind of the de facto, de facto hybrid on the market. We know other brands were slow to adopt more hybrid technology. And I think what happened was that just kind of got lost in the shuffle because then shortly after hybrids came out, then we started to get, you know, we started started to creep over to the EV territory. We started to creep more into plug-in hybrids. And now EVs have really kind of taken the dominant name, the dominant story in the industry in terms of alternative powertrains. So I think some of it is just kind of the way that the, the, the lateness in terms of other OEMs to really capitalize on the te- technology. Another thing was after the gas prices went up, you know, we've been in this industry for quite some time. We know that blips on the radar are blips on the radar. Eventually things are going to return back to normal and actually gas prices shot back down pretty fast. And so once that happened, the lure of going to that, that technology wasn't necessarily there anymore. So I think that kind of impacted them. Whereas EV, you know, depending on what you feel like, we know that there is, you know, we know that EV is, is clean technology. We know that we, we need to start being less gas reliant. We know that the government, and everyone else is are investing in these clean technologies. EV is kind of the, the uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Kind of the leader in that sense. So we know that 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 has power and that has momentum to carry forward because everyone's going forward to that technology. We know that cafe standards are going to you know rise up in the next few years. We know that other OEMs have pledged that we're going to develop you know majority EV powertrains by 2035 or 2030. And so like there there is that momentum that I don't think hybrids had back in the day. Yeah, I wonder if it's the way they now, drive. As, as we Not see, all... oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, as we see more EVs hitting the market and more and more brands, we're just going to see more and more, you know, every year going going forward. Does that have a potential to upset the traditional loyalty paradigm? And, you know, if we're talking 10 years from now, well, could things potentially be very, very different? Absolutely. Um, you know, just this year, we've seen the number of EV models double from two years ago. And as we've seen those number those numbers double, we've seen a, we've seen an erosion in Tesla's share of those conquests coming into that powertrain. So, you know, if they offer the good models, and the more models they offer, you know, that's I think will potentially give them an advantage in terms of retaining those customers into another EV powertrain if they have that available in their lineup. Um, you know, I think Tesla really has built up that foundation, though, and I think that's what's really going to be hard. You know, again, we talked about the launch of the Cybertruck, even though they didn't um, offer it, even though they didn't announce it yesterday. You know, there is a potential for more of a value priced, smaller vehicle that they're going to offer in the next few years. That's something that can make that, you know, it's really going to see what Tesla does going forward in the future to potentially either benefit them to make those customers sticky with their lineup Versus, you know, the other OEMs catching up and offering, you know, another of um, another of other alternatives to really kind of keep those customers within their brand. You know, I think, you know, we look at the investor call yesterday, they really focused more on, you know, the sustainable energy and really kind of being that power company, not necessarily more of the brand stuff. So I think the next big thing is, well, what are they going to do next in terms of in terms of models? I know they said that they're going to offer a minor refresh to the Model Y in terms of exterior and interior design, which is something that brand hasn't done in a while. Now, one of the things that has really benefited Tesla overall is the fact that they have a very appealing design that has aged very well. They haven't had to follow kind of some of what the normal traditional, um, you know, OEMs have done in sense of having kind of a four, seven year cadence in terms of re- fully redesigning their vehicles. So, if when it when that design starts to age, that's going to be another thing. Is it how are they going to tackle that, and how are they going to come you know come forward with with new designs? Are they going to make that that design as appealing as the previous generation was? They don't have to because Elon I'm said not, yesterday I'm that not even just to, talking about. Oh, I was just I was just going to follow up. I'm sorry. I was I, was I, I wasn't Elon talking said, just about. We're both together. Go. Okay, go ahead, Gary. I was going to say, Elon said yesterday they have infinite desire for their product, so they don't have to worry about any of that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's, you know, the advantage that they have is, you know, their redesigns in the past have been more technology. But as we all seen, you know, tastes change. You know, I'm not wearing really baggy jeans anymore. You know, I'm wearing, you know, my jeans are a little bit tighter than they normally did. You know, my shirts are a little bit tighter and they're not loose fitting. So taste change, fashions change, perception changes. 
And I think over time, you know, maybe that maybe people won't want to see things so bulbous. Maybe they want to see things more angular, more rigid, like the, the Cybertruck is. So, you know, that's what I think is I think that's going to be the true test. But you're right, Gary. I mean, right now, for the last 10 years, it's really benefited them because that model is very sleek. And they say, hey, you don't have to buy a new model because we're just going to update the software and that's going to be your new model right there. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and my follow-up question was, taking it beyond Tesla, does it have a chance, you know, will you know, Toyota buyers look at a GM EV? Will Ford buyers look at a Hyundai EV? I mean, does that does that have the ability to to upset the loyalty Apple cart among the, the major, the mass market brands as well? Yeah, I you know, it really is. It's the product that you're offering. You know, what is the package? You know, is the perception of it? Is there a strong word of mouth? You know, that type of stuff. Pricing, incentives, you know, those are going to be factors that are really going to play into it. You know, range anxiety, again, that we're talking about. You know, my, you know, my, if I'm offering a vehicle that has five, 600 mile range and, you know, is just, you know, is better than the competitor. Hey, I might be more inclined to do it. And it's also $3,000 less. Hey, I may, I might want to move to that. So it's really going to be not only the design the performance, but it's also going to be price and, you know, what you can offer, what we can offer. That's really going to be, and those are just traditional channels that OEMs are using now to conquest from other brands too. So that's just going to really going to, you know, having that experience and bringing that model into once more EVs are available is going to be, you know, a very important play in terms of trying to capture other, other competitors. Well, you know, look at what EVs have done for Hyundai and Kia. It's been amazing. You know, uh, a few years ago, if you had said they're going to be, those brands are going to be selling $60,000 cars, we would have said they, they got rocks in their heads. Nobody's going to buy them. And they would not if they were ICE vehicles. But being EVs and terrific EVs at that, Hyundai and uh, Kia have not only greatly boosted their brand image, it's opened the door to conquest that they could have never have gotten with their ICE vehicles. Absolutely. I mean, if you look back and, you know, going back in, I got 20 years in the industry, I'm, you know, you look back at what Kia was prior, Kia and Hyundai both prior to 2012. I mean, those were budget vehicles that, you know, if you're driving them around, the perception was like, well, you know, it's not really the greatest car, but it, it gets me from point A to point B. And then 2012 with the launch of the Sonata, and then eventually the Optima really changed, and the Elantra as well, really changed that brand. And they've just been on, they've just been on a, a, a tear ever since with their designs. Not only are their designs safe, their technology is strong, they offer a good price. And they've also been really early into hybrid and EV technology too. So again, the earlier you are in, in getting into this technology and the earlier you are to develop it and get it out on the market is really going to help you kind of going forward versus you want to play, you know, you don't want to play from behind because when you're playing from behind, you make more desperate moves. And I'm not saying that, these OEMs are going to be desperate, but you're just kind of working the clock's ticking and you really have to kind of make sure that you hit the, you, you hit it out of the park versus if you're starting earlier and you're really developing it, you kind of have that basis to make some mistakes and eventually evolve from there. So, so to the point of the traditional OEMs versus the up and coming OEMs, I mean, you mentioned Rivian before and it just won a, a JD power award for uh, um, owner satisfaction for the, uh, R1T. Um, and, you know, in, in the dominance of Tesla in the results of your loyalty awards, um, what is the message for the traditional OEM guys? I mean, um, what do you think that they need to do in order to maintain relevance going forward? Yeah, you know, it's I'm not a marketing expert. I'm, you know, I'm a data guy. I'm a film major. I can talk to you about film all the time. That's where my expertise is. But if we're looking at it from a data perspective, you know, I think one of the things that you can look at and we're not even a data perspective, when we just see kind of through the data where these customers are going to. And you read in the news, you read about how, you know, Rivian customers really love, you know, they're having issues in terms of providing these vehicles, but those customers that get those vehicles really love it. And if we look at Tesla and we look at kind of what Rivian has done, they've just really been outside of the normal traditional sales strategies, methods, designs that we've seen from these OEMs. So I think it's, you know, the industry has been very successful for a reason, you know, and it's been around for hundreds of years. They've been developing cars, hundreds of years. They've been developing cars, you know, and I think what, what happens is, you know, you get very used to those traditional sales channels, those traditional design channels. And I think now we're at a period where it's time to start thinking a little bit differently in terms of looking at the industry a little bit different way, because as we've seen now, you know, the boutiques, they work, you know, not having any marketing, just kind of creating a brand, a kind of brand sense or brand identity really helps. So I think, looking at different ways to kind of to basically tackle something I think is going to be 
beneficial for them to kind of look at. I think those traditional ways, they are successful. They still work. And I don't think you should ever give them up. But it's time to think outside of the box every now and then to really kind of kind of add a spark to your to your brand. Yeah. Look, uh, we're, we're coming up to the top of the hour. That's probably the perfect note to end this discussion on. But Vince, I want to thank you for being on the show. This has been terrific. Very insightful. Oh, thank you guys very much. This has been a blast. Loving it. Yeah. Thanks, Vince. And Jeff, thank you for joining us. Good having you on board here. Hey, thanks for having me. Really good. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Gary, I'll see you later. Okay. See ya. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, solutions for your journey. If you like this program and would like to learn more about the automotive industry, check out our website at Autoline.tv or look for us on YouTube on the Autoline channel. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 